0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix.
2: Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find?
3: Hey, what's going on? On today's episode of Locked on Raptors, it's a live show I recorded from Scotiabank Arena last night after the Game 6 loss for the Raptors to the Philadelphia 76ers by a score of 132-97. to I dig into the big takeaways from the game, why James Harden deciding to be very good was the reason the Raptors came undone. And I also dig into some box score notes on the guys who played in the game with a bit of an eye on the full season evaluation more so than just looking at their Game 6 efforts. Plus, I take listener questions to the back part from the live stream chat and so much more, all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Oh, look, like, because when I shot I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot kind of miss. So.
2: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
3: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1169 of Locked On Raptors, live from inside Scotiabank Arena. Sean Woodley here with you, hopefully working. We had some tech difficulties trying to get this thing started up before. If there are any issues, please let me know in the chat. Uh, this will be the last attempt. If I can't get it working now, it's never going to work. But if it is working, thank you for being here. And we're going to dig into the Toronto Raptors game six loss to the Philadelphia 76ers here at Scotiabank Arena tonight to uh, end a really, really promising and fun season on a bit of a sour note. Uh, again, 132-97 they go down in a pretty difficult fashion, especially with a second half and a third quarter in particular that was really, really discouraging. I saw the Raptors kind of lose the thread that really had powered them to the last couple wins and I think really sort of had people thinking that this Raptors team was going to pull off history and take down the Sixers in a dramatic history-making fashion. That is not the case, however. And on today's show, we're going to dig into what went wrong for the Raptors, the sort of big takeaways from the run of play. We'll also run through the box score notes and sort of hand out some flowers to some guys who performed well talk about guys who didn't perform so well in this game as well and uh you know that'll be the sort of middle part and then the final segment of the show we'll take your listener questions please drop them in the chat if you have them and I will answer them then and again trying to deal with arena Wi-Fi and all this stuff and so if there are tech issues please just let me know in the chat I apologize in advance we're working on uh, mlSD MLSE and rogers's dime here so uh hopefully it's all good and holds up so Raptors go down and they lose to the Philadelphia 76ers to end the season. And we should start with the sort of big takeaway from this game, which is that I think James Harden deserves a lot of credit, and he really was the domino that sort of saw everything else fall into place for the Sixers and fall apart for the Raptors in this game. We've been talking all series long about James Harden being cooked, being totally washed, being too slow to get by guys, unable to break down Gary Trent Jr. and Malachi Flynn and name any other Raptors defender. They've had James Harden's number to the point where they have been able, since Game 2, to play... Single coverage on James Harden and not worry about sending extra help his way and really limiting his playmaking, limiting the threes he was setting up for other guys. And in this game, James Harden found the scoring touch that he had been missing for the last couple of games here and really, really gave the Raptors problems as a result. We saw in the first quarter, he got to the rim for a missed layup early on. That was encouraging that he missed it, but he did blow by Ken Burch on a switch for that. He ended up throwing down a dunk as well in the first quarter, got to the line for a couple of free throw attempts too, and really just, you know, was doing the aggressive James Harden thing that we haven't seen really all that much outside of the first few games he played with the Sixers. Even at the start of the series, he was not blowing by anybody necessarily. The Raptors were just unnecessarily overhelping in those situations and it was costing them on the back end with the number of open threes they were giving up, the number of times it swung to Tyrese Maxey and he was able to drive off the catch and score at the rim. And we saw that formula for the Sixers replicate itself in this game, all because James Harden figured, all right, I guess I got to go score here. It's game six. I've been a pumpkin this whole series. And look, do I think James Harden has this in him every single game for the rest of the postseason? Do I think they stand a chance of losing, or sorry, winning the title? Not really. I think he's still limited, but credit to him. He had an awesome game in this one and it was the reason the Raptors were put back on their heels, unfortunately. Uh, It was just a really, really nice performance. And again, it all sort of led to all these dominoes falling that just were eventually insurmountable for the Raptors. And that third quarter in particular. James Harden got into playmaker mode because he had kind of set the bar of his offense in the first half. And he was getting by guys. He was blown by Gary Trent Jr. He was blowing by Scotty Barnes and what happened was there had to be a sub made. Chris Boucher was awesome in the first half. So was Thad Young and pretty early in that third quarter, I think it was about the eight minute mark, the Sixers had gotten out to uh, a pretty healthy lead. I think it was like 80 to 67 or something like that when that switch came. You know, Boucher comes in, Thad comes in, Barnes and Trent go to the bench and it led to all sorts of problems for the Raptors, and really problems that they couldn't overcome because the Sixers were kind of in the sort of positive feedback loop that they had found in games one and two. Because the Sixers were getting so many open looks out of James Harden drives in this game, it just led to the Raptors not having the math on their side to come back, especially when you had to sub out Gary Trent Jr. because he was the one getting torched by James Harden time after time. Scotty Barnes was getting bullied as well they were running you know, lots of actions that were getting Barnes switched on to Joel Embiid too and that was not working super well either Embiid was incredible in this game as well we'll get to him look I know he's a heel I know everybody hates Joel Embiid it's hard to really be all that mad at a good heel in the NBA I love a good heel it's really really nice to have a good heel and uh, you know I I relish that existing even though the Raptors were under said heel getting stepped on in this one but back to James Harden and the way he kind of got things in motion for the Sixers when you didn't have Gary Trent Jr. and Scotty Barnes on the floor Trent obviously one of their best three-point shooters has been all season and Barnes was one of their most eager three-point shooters in this game he'd put up seven attempts to lead the team which is I I, you know nice for him that he was aggressive and looking to get him up but also not so nice because you don't want to be leaning so heavily on Scotty Barnes threes to uphold your offense but it's really all they could muster and there were just a like a cavalcade of factors that came into play here as well. Um, you know, you take those guys out and you don't get that three-point volume from those guys. You don't get Gary Trent Jr. flying around. And you just get a pretty cramped-looking offense. As much as Chris Boucher was eager to put up shots in this game, it was fantastic, and we'll get to that coming up on the other side. He does not have the three-point stroke that's going to scare the Sixers, right? And the Sixers were able to just kind of hang back like protect the paint, wall off the paint, send extra bodies to Pascal Siakam and the Raptors were only getting open threes out of it and there were threes by Thad Young and Chris Boucher and Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobiu had a pretty rough night as well, 1 of 4 not the night you want from OG Pascal was over 4 from downtown too just overall not enough 3 point shooting in this game to keep pace with what the Sixers were doing on, that, on the other end with their 3 point shooting because of what James Harden was able to do by getting downhill and then drawing that extra help because he established himself as a scorer so early on. Um, You know, the Sixers in this game go 16 of 40 from downtown. Harris goes 3 of 8. Danny Green goes 4 of 7. Some real daggers from Danny Green. Just a real bummer. Uh, Tyrese Maxey goes 5 of 12. Really kind of recaptured game 1 and 2, Tyrese Maxey. You know, Harden goes 2 of 5 as well. Hits a couple of pull-ups. That certainly hurt. Niang goes 2 of 3. Just a really big shooting night from the Sixers. And it left the Raptors sort of forced to go and try to hunt threes at the other end. Also, they were necessitated to take threes because of what the Sixers were doing to Siakam and not allowing anything near the basket. And it just got to the point where the math was just not on their side. They could not keep up and, you know, just keep pace with the Sixers. And this was a game where, you know, I've talked this whole series at least since the last couple games with no Fred Van Vliet about how not having Fred in this specific matchup didn't feel like a death knell, specifically because Fred's not been himself, right? He's been shooting like 29% from three since the All-Star break. He's not staying in front of guys on defense, but you saw in this game why a healthy Fred Van Vliet is so necessary for this team. He's extra offensive creation, of course. When Pascal's seeing all that attention, you can swing it out and Fred can then go initiate something from the second side and instead of it always just kind of having to be a, a three or a Gary Gary tread Jr. jab step or something like that. It just, you, th- that Fred spacing is so, so valuable. Also, the fact that you can run, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet pick and roll, which it's got to have been forgotten because Fred didn't really play that much down the stretch and they didn't really get to see a whole ton of it. But that Siakam, Fred pick and roll, whether it's Siakam screening for Fred or Fred screening for Siakam, is just a deadly, deadly offensive weapon for the Raptors. They didn't have access to that in this series and haven't really had access to it with the diminished Fred Van Vliet and with Pascal taking on so much of the playmaking burden. And in this game as well. When the Raptors were really trying to get back into this thing in the third quarter, again, as the the Sixers are just pouring in threes at the other end and B is getting deep position and scoring a will, the only way for the Raptors to try to get offense going is through Pascal Siakam. And so the Sixers did the thing that we talked about on the last couple podcasts that I kind of theorized they might do, which was they started trapping Pascal Siakam at the very top of the pick and roll and forcing him to pass to the short roller. Imagine how different that looks if it's Pascal Siakam screening for Fred Van Vliet, you have the threat of a Fred Van Vliet pull up three, of course, and you have Pascal in the short roll. Or if it's the other way around and Fred is the one who's screening for Pascal, you can't trap Fred Van v- or Pascal Siakam in that situation because you're just giving up a wide open Fred Van Vliet three at the top of the arc. That's not what you want either if you're the Sixers. And so having no Fred in this game, as much as, you know, he was not. We're, t- we're speaking about what-ifs here, because even if he had played, he wouldn't have been at the peak version of himself that we've seen all season long or saw before the All-Star break. Like That's just not something that was accessible to the Raptors, but you saw how much that actually hurt them, and it really, really neutered the offense in the second half here. They just had no offensive flow, and the threes that they were producing, they were open looks. Pascal was making the right reads for the most part. He only had a couple of really bad turnovers in this one. He was facing a lot of duress, but you'll notice he didn't get a lot of shots up in the second half because there was just no access to the rim for him there he was trying to make the right read but they just didn't have enough shooters on the floor and it was compounded by the fact that they had to have bad young and Chris Boucher in there in place of Scotty Barnes and Gary Trent Jr. because of the defense they were not playing on James Harden just a whole cavalcade of hell just broken out because James Harden decided to play good basketball which he has not done for long stretches of this series so credit to James Harden for that credit to the Sixers for uh, an interesting game plan and you know just kind of sticking with what their main model is going to be if they are going to win a championship. They didn't change things up because James Harden was not playing very well. They stuck with it, saying, hey, this is the guy we traded for. He's got to do something at some point, otherwise we're screwed anyway. And thankfully for the Sixers, he did. And so... It's a bummer for sure. You don't want to see it, but uh, yeah, that's just the way it is. This was always the thing with this series, right? Was, you know, we talked about adjustments, adjustments, adjustments. The main adjustment for the Sixers, because we talked about how there were not that many of them to make, was Joel Embiid and or James Harden play like the superstars that they are, and they did, and there's just not much you can really do about that. Embiid had a massive game, too. 12 of 18. He was 0-4 from 3, so he was 12 of 14 from 2, and it was there was a, a few things around the rim here and there, but it was a lot of pull-up, jab-step jumpers and things like that, and when he's making shots like that, like, what the hell are you supposed to do as the defense? You're just sitting there, hoping he's missing those shots. The couple days off clearly helped the thumb, I'm guessing, when it came to the shooting touch, and when you have Embiid and Harden playing like the two best players on the floor, although I would say Pascal was probably still a little bit better than Harden, considering the burden he had, but either way, those guys played like the superstars that they are, and that's typically how it works in basketball. It's simplistic, it's reductive, but sometimes the playoffs just come down to, did the very good players play very good basketball, and if so you're going to lose. That's a bummer, but it is what it is. That said, lots of good things to take, both from this game, more so the first half than anything else. The second half was kind of a wash, but some good stuff from the first half we can dig into. And I also just want to sort of run through the box score and uh, and chat about what each of the guys in the Raptors did throughout this game. Uh, in the back part of the show, we'll take your questions, so please feel free to jump into the chat with any questions you might have. If you put them in now, I'll, they'll be in the queue and I'll get to them right away. Uh, but that'll be the back part of the show. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, take a quick break here on the other side. Going to dig into the box score notes I have for the various members of the Raptors throughout this game. But before I do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for all your sports betting stats and info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, which are going on right now, of course, and the start of the Major League Baseball season, the Toronto Blue Jays, baby. The Raptors are out. The Blue Jays are amazing. Why don't you go and uh, put some long distance money on Alec Manoa winning the Cy Young? He's like 4 and 0. And is untouchable right now. That could be a way you win some money to make yourself feel a little bit happier about the state of the Raptors at the end of this season. Also, you should be happy about the state of the Raptors anyway. They're really good, which we'll get to in the podcast. However, Bet Online is uh, your continued source for all your sports wagering info from live betting, playoff, esports, and more. Just go to the website today or use your mobile device and learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, let's continue on here and dig into my box score notes for the various guys who played for the Raptors in this one. We should start with Pascal Siakam, who finished with 24 points, 7 boards, 7 assists, 3 steals, 9 of 17 from the field, 44 minutes. I mean, yeah, the Raptors lost this game in part because Siakam was unable to score at the rate he did in the first half he had 18 first half points he was just dynamite in the first half and it dried up for him in the second half but the sixers were allowed to do that because the raptors just had no shooting to speak of around pascal siakam over the last three games in this series the raptors hit eight eight and seven threes on 34 31 and 35 attempts it's just not going to get it done and that was the case a lot when we saw things go wrong for the Raptors this season. Siakam does everything to set the table, there's just not the finishing out there right now. And I guess that speaks to things you want to see from the Raptors in the offseason address, but that's a question for another day. Either way, I thought Siakam was really great in this one. Not as good defensively as you typically would see, but the whole defense kind of was out of sorts because they were always over-rotating, always having to, to sort of have an extra guy at a position because James Harden was forcing them to and pulling them out of the single coverage they've been working in all see like for the last couple games, and that had been working really well. And, and again, that all kind of goes back to James Harden deciding not to be a pumpkin for a day. Good for him. Um uh and yeah no super kevins they're not pre-recorded ad reads i do them on the fly i'm a pro uh but (laughs) let's uh yeah Chris, Pascal Siakam was awesome. I, I really have nothing bad to say about him. I feel like any sort of questions about his viability as a 1-1-A, whatever the hell you want to say about it in the postseason, very, very com- comfortably answered in this postseason. He, of course, is the linchpin for the Raptors' defense in a lot of ways as well. And I'm really excited to see more Pascal Siakam next season, hopefully with a little bit more shooting around him and a little bit more in terms of support. And hopefully you get that Fred VanVleet, Pascal Siakam pick and roll with a Scotty Barnes cut and baseline. And we can kind of see that that full thing in action the way it did work at a lot of times this season. We just never really got to see the full-fledged Siakam-Van Vliet duo in the back part of the season, unfortunately. Um, I I, so yeah again nothing bad to say about Pascal he was really good he just I think kind of ran out of gas by the end because he was seeing all of the attention from the Sixers whether it was when he was driving in and seeing two bodies or three bodies when he got within 18 feet or whether it was when he was getting trapped at the top of the pick and roll and forced to give it up and there were some possessions that were truly maddening like there was one where Pascal gets trapped he passes it over to Gary Trent Jr. there's like an easy swing up to the top of the arc for a three Trent kind of Toils around with it for a second, kicks it to the corner. Chris Boucher tries to drive and it doesn't work out. Just a pretty miserable set of decision making after Pascal got rid of it. But Pascal did a good job dealing with the traps and things like that. Just three turnovers to seven assists. That is going to be the sort of thing that keeps him afloat as a star, right? Is are you able to handle that extra attention? And Siakam was all season long. This was another example of it. It's just a shame he didn't have the supporting and finishing talent around him in this game to really get the job done. Uh, OG and Obi, tough game for him, just five points, two of seven, had foul trouble early on, uh, you know, a couple ticky-tack things here and there, it's a bummer, but it is the way it is, uh, I don't think anything from this game detracts from what OG is as a player or what he means to this team, I think we saw all season long, the defense he provides is incredible, and look, is he gonna be a guy who is a self-creation guy who's, you know, gonna carry a 28% usage and be a star for you? Probably not. Not everybody can be that, and there's something to be said for the guy whose floor and or ceiling and or just sort of the guy that he is is a wonderful third or fourth option who is an otherworldly defender who can hit threes at 40%. That's a hell of a basketball player for $18 million a year. I want to hear no, oh, God, get rid of OG any of that nonsense. Like, Yeah, he had a bad game. Yeah, it's sometimes a bit of an awkward fit in terms of the offensive hierarchy at times. But for the most part, I think OG was fantastic this season. And he, to me, has just sort of solidified himself as, like, that guy is the kind of guy you need on a championship team. I have kind of thought all along, and this feels sacrilege to say because everybody loves the Suns and everyone loves Macal Bridges. But like you swap OG and Macal Bridges, they're one and the same, and maybe even a little bit better down in Phoenix if you have OG and Anobi in place of Macal Bridges for the extra size and just like the beef he provides. I I really think like that. That's the kind of. Air you're talking about, and no great team gets by without McHale Bridges' and OG Ananobi's on their team. So yeah, bummer game for him, but certainly not uh, like a, a one that derails any optimism or anything like that. Uh, Scotty Barnes in this game led the team in shots with 20, took seven threes, like I said as well. Not what you necessarily want, but it was nice that he was willing to take them. 18 points, seven boards, three assists, uh, and a steal as well. You know, at minus 33, he was on the floor for a lot of those bad moments, was getting torched on defense, like I said, alongside Gary Trent Jr. But hey, man, he's 20 years old. He's Scotty freaking Barnes. I can't be worried. The whole reason this season has been such a joy is that having Scotty Barnes play the way he has is just such a beautiful beautiful bit of gravy. Like everything is gravy on top of that, I should say. It sort of is the baseline for a successful season is Scotty Barnes looking the way he has. And he had some real real moments in this game as well. Iso Joel Embiid back-to-back possessions and scored. Uh you know, he he's really like flourishing and blossoming in front of our eyes and this was one year of it. He's 20 years old. He's not 20 22 until August. I'm bloody excited for what the future of Scotty Barnes is. I really can't be upset about his performance tonight. Just a uh, you know a really really uh, promising season overall, and the the fact that he was playing out there. He was hobbled pretty clearly in this one. The ankle seemed to be bothering. We took a couple of bad landings and things like that. Still kept on gritting it out. Uh, what can you say about Scotty Barnes other than this guy is going to be the real deal someday? Showed very much that he is like a playoff-ass player in this postseason as well. Uh, It's a shame we missed a couple of games uh, of Scotty in the postseason, just as viewers who want to see Scotty Barnes play basketball. But really cool that he got back. And really awesome that he got three whole games on the other side of the injury of playoff basketball, which didn't seem like it was going to be the case earlier on in the series when they were down 3-0 and he's, he was still sidelined. So it's not at all lost. confidence. When it comes to development or anything like that, you got to see Scotty on the biggest stage, and I think the early returns pretty promising. Uh, Ken Birch just played five minutes in this one. Look, he was kind of the the, the thumb that's the, like the sort of ugly big thumb that stuck out. Really disappointing, obviously, that Kim had the season that he did. It was not the season you want for Ken Birch. You know, he had the injuries, he get hit in the face of 10,000 times, didn't quite have. Uh, you know, a, a clear role within the team sort of oscillated back and forth between ninth man and starter and ceremonial starter and guy who played heavier minutes than you wanted him to playing ahead of Precious Achua, etc. You know, for, for Ken Birch though, you know, he's on a pretty reasonable contract. He's a nice guy to have around. He's nice depth at the big man spot. Even if I don't think he should be part of the, the main rotation next season necessarily or in the starting five, it's not like it's an albatross contract or anything like that and I would expect that he's back and uh, there's, there's there's really nothing to be all upset about. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. In this game, 19 points, 7-15. to 15. The first quarter, we gotta give some love to Gary Trent Jr. Because if the Raptors had won this game, it would have been because of the work he and Chris Boucher did in the first quarter of this game. When the offense for the Raptors You think the offense was bad in the third quarter? It was just as bad in the first quarter. They just happened to get like a million offensive rebounds and putbacks and bailout shots from Gary Trent Jr. The zone in particular was really bugging them in the early going in this game. Uh, The zone kind of went away as the game went along and they went to more of a sort of just send all of the bodies at Pascal and dare them to shoot threes style defense. But the zone in the first quarter was a nightmare for the Raptors to deal with. They could not figure it out. And Gary Trent Jr. and Chris Boucher sort of did the job to fill in the gaps. Look, Gary had a rough defensive game, and I think his sort of defensive reputation has rightfully taken a bit of a hit down the backstretch of the season. I don't think he is the sort of guy that we saw in the first couple weeks of the season where he was just this menace all over the place. He's certainly great at sort of hunting for steals and things like that, jumping passing lanes, which is necessary for what the Raptors want to do. And all season long, he was a huge bellwether for the Raptors on offense. When he was on the floor, the Raptors offense performed well. It just basically was clockwork. It was Siakam and Trent who were the guys who drove offensive performance more than anybody else in this game though really rough defense and that led to everything else kind of dissipating and honestly six threes, not enough for Gary Trent Jr. in this game where zone busting was needed and just shot making was needed. Not nearly enough three-point attempts from Gary Trent Jr. in this one. Way too many of those sort of probing drives where he's just kind of overcome by length and arms. He's not athletic enough to overcome it and score through it. So, a bit disappointing there, but I don't think Gary Trent Jr. is any sort of, um, you know, albatross or anything like that. Uh, I think he's a very nice player on this team, and honestly, my offseason agenda is going to be Gary Trent Jr. as sixth man for next year get him in that six man of the year conversation he feels like a guy who could win that award very comfortably and uh i think that's maybe his sort of best destiny with this team but the fact that they were able to rely on him for 40 minutes in this game and he was sort of their savior on offense in a lot of situations uh you know you got to give him some credit for that uh you know a nice season for gary trend jr and a a hot and cold game six i would say but you know, this series turned around when Gary Trent Jr. got healthy again. I don't think that's a surprise. He's a very important element of this team, especially for a team that doesn't have a ton of shooting. Do you want to be as dependent on Gary Trent shooting as they are? Probably not. You wish you'd have some more options to go to, but hey, he had a pretty damn good season, all told. And for me, I wasn't really sold on him coming into the year as like a guy who would be part of the future. I think at 23 years old, doing what he did this year, I'm more than happy to see more of Gary Trent Jr. going forward, even if I think, the, the six-man-of-the-year destiny is, is, like, kind of very much in his future. You need six men of the year. You need guys who can come in and just be walking buckets, and I kind of think that might be Gary Trent Jr.'s future. But for now, uh, you know, played a lot of minutes, 40 minutes tonight, and, uh, again, hot and cold. The defense really was a problem on James Harden, but credit to him. He did a pretty damn good job on Harden for most of the series. So eventually that dam was going to break. Uh, Other quick notes here on guys from this game, Thad Young, pretty quiet, just 0-4, seven boards though, though, and two assists, and those two assists were, I think, both to Chris Boucher cutting. Those two guys I love that simpatico. Please stay in Toronto, Thad Young. We want to see more of those kick-ass passes. Either way, I think it's pretty clear that you know the trade was worth it. He was an effective player for this team. He helped work along the young guys. The young guys spoke glowingly of how he was basically the team dad when he walked in. Really fit the eth- ethos of the team. Uh, I hope we see more of Thad Young going forward. But if this is if this was the last game for Thad Young as a Raptor, uh, he at least got some kick-ass, cool passes, even though he did not hit any shots in this one, unfortunately. And again, it was kind of part. Of- of that offensive slowdown in the third quarter where he had to be in there for his defense and in there to sort of, you know, man the line, but he just didn't have enough offensive juice. Missed some threes, like the two threes he missed. Anytime Thad puts up a three, it feels like it's kind of a momentum swinger. And when he missed them, it was really, really tough as the Raptors were trying to claw back in that third quarter after going down really, really quickly. Um, Chris Boucher, boy, oh boy. What a game for Chris Boucher in this one. Much like Gary Trent Jr. was the reason the Raptors even had a shot at this one after their miserable first quarter where the offense just looked completely cooked and the defense was totally out of sorts. He was the reason they were able to stay afloat. He had three offensive boards in that first quarter alone, finished with just three on the night. The Raptors had 15 in the game. Uh, They did get back to their possession battle gaming thing in this one, but just didn't quite have the juice. And, you know, Boucher putting up threes, two of six from downtown, I'm kind of of the mind that Boucher's three-point shot is somewhere between the 39% we saw last year and the 29-ish percent we saw this year. He kind of got a little bit hotter near the end of the season and looked pretty decent in the postseason. I, I think there's some hope there for Chris Boucher as a shooter somewhere here, but yeah, just uh, you know, wasn't quite enough. And when you're relying on 32 minutes of Chris Boucher because he was like your third most effective player on the night. That's not an indictment of Chris Boucher. Hell yeah to him. He was incredible, but that kind of speaks to the lack of options the Raptors had in this one where just too many guys had off nights. You know, I'll go back to the quote Nick Nurse had after the first game of the series where he spoke at long, uh, at length, at long, at length about how this Raptors team needs to have everyone kind of playing at least average for them to have a shot because it it, it is also interconnected. And there were just too many guys who were not average. That said, Chris Boucher, well, well, excuse me, well above average in this one. And, uh, you know, we'll talk. We have plenty of time to litigate offseason stuff and free agency and things like that. But I really do hope we see Chris Boucher back with the Raptors. He just fits the team and the ethos so well. And honestly, for him, like, where else would he be at home as much as he is with this Raptors team in when, when terms of the way he plays in terms of the things he does the Raptors are a team that hunts offensive rebounds and plays maniacs fly all over the place defense that seems like the Chris Boucher dreamland and so hopefully there's a, a deal to be made there to bring him back because uh, yeah he, he was fantastic and then the last guy to talk about here other than the garbage time guys was Precious Achua had himself a rough one this was one of the down slopes of the Precious Achua roller coaster ride sadly and you know look it happens man. He's 22 years old. There's going to be some moments where it kind of reverts back to things you don't want to see. Some pretty you know, doomed offensive possessions, I'd say, where he over-dribbled, looked for something that wasn't there, tried to go with Joel Embiid, sort of heat-checking himself from the last game, where he cooked him multiple times in, in the half-court, in isolation situations, Embiid was way more on it today, the Sixers were way more sort of locked in and sort of on a string defensively as well, and it just wasn't there for Precious Achua, and he wasn't catching them by surprise anymore, right? You know, he only took a two threes in this game as well, missed them both, uh, you know, I-, I have very, very high hopes for Precious Achua, this was not his best performance the defense was pretty uh I don't want to say weak but it was just not at the same sort of menacing level it's been throughout this series and Joel Embiid kind of got where he wanted to go a lot more deep post position for Joel Embiid The Raptors have done such a good job of preventing him from getting within that six to eight foot range where he's more or less just dropping the, the, ball, the ball into the basket and Precious obviously shares a pretty big role in that just 22 minutes for him and then this one as well as Boucher summarily outplayed him I would say so Tough finish for precious, but my God, I uh, like I think he is the answer at center going forward. The defense from this guy, it is otherworldly. He can guard anybody on the floor at any time. As long as they can continue to refine these things, work on the decision-making, and work on that three-point shot, which was so, so encouraging down the back stretch of the season, Precious Achua, to me, I go into next season with him as my starting center. I move Gary Trent Jr. to the bench to live out his his gunner destiny, and I think that's sort of how I'm going with the top six on the roster. This doesn't have to be a whole lot of changes. It's just internal development you're banking on, and I think if you're banking on internal development, Precious Achua is a damn good guy to bank on, considering what he's he's done over the course of this season. You know, he looked tonight a little bit like the early season version of precious, but this is the performance that's been so few and far between considering what he's done lately. And the sort of the routine, like, I don't know, unbelievable performances where you're just kind of being, jaw on the floor at what he's doing you know i have no qualms about what precious achua did this season tough finish for him tough finish for everybody man like it's a bummer the the guys after the game and the press conferences seemed a little bit dejected because of the way it went down you lose by 35 in the last game that's never going to be the most fun way to go out but uh you know it it is what it is man it's uh it's it's uh That's how it goes. I wrote last week after Game 3 that the Raptors are here in the playoffs to get punched in the mouth and learn from it. They got punched in the mouth tonight, man. It's nice that that post had some staying power and some shelf life, thankfully. None of my posts ever do because they're bad. Uh, All right, we're going to continue on. On the other side, going to reflect a little bit on the season, of course, and then uh, also take your questions. So if you have questions, please drop them into the chat. I look forward to answering them coming up on the other side. But first, got to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best tasting protein bars you can find anywhere. If you are a Built Bar, if you are a person who just, like, needs the meal replacement or something like that, you're looking for something to be a a breakfast replacement, you don't want to have that heavy, like, breakfast that's weighing you down or something like that, or you want something to power through a workout. Built Bar is a wonderful way to go. Most of their bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs and 17 grams of protein. It's about half the calories of your standard candy bar and it's about an eighth of the sugar as well. So you gotta get up on that. Like that's You're putting so much sugar in your body. If you're eating Mr. Biggs all the time. And look, as someone who eats a lot of Mr. Biggs, I gotta, it's, I've gotta. done a nice thing. It's sort of replaced that part of my diet with Built Bars in the last couple of years here since Built Bars started working with us and I stand by them. I am not a person who likes protein bars most of the time give me a cliff Bar, I'm spitting that thing out because it tastes like sand. That is not the case with Built Bar. It tastes like a candy bar. It has the mouthfeel of a candy bar. And you get all sorts of great flavors like banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, so many more. they got limited time flavors that pop up all the time as well. So go check them out. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. This the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off
0: at Built.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Sometimes you and I need that kind of support too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, "Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there."
3: All right,
0: let's dig
3: in now to some mailbag questions. Probably going to be a little bit uh, eulogy heavy, I suppose, at this one, talking about the end of the season, wrapping things up, and we should note. This is a daily podcast. It will remain a daily podcast through the end of free agency. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about all of this stuff. We've got player reviews coming up. We've got uh, the Over-Under special with Vivek and Sahal that we are going to review our preseason Over-Under picks. That is going to be a bloodbath, I think, for me. But either way, that's coming up. We'll have lots of fun guests and fun concept episodes and stuff like that throughout the offseason. So we're not going anywhere. We're going to address all of these questions, I'm sure, in the form of full episodes. But from Russo, man asking, any chance of getting both Boucher and Thad back? Should I want that as much as I do? I absolutely think there's a chance they bring both guys back. I think Boucher, like I said, he's at a perfect home here with the Raptors. He's developed into a perfect Raptors type player, and the Raptors should be incentivized to want him back because there's not endless six foot nine guys who can play the Raptors scheme falling off of trees, especially in free agency. And so, yeah, I think the Raptors will be incentivized to want to bring him back. And I don't see really any reason why that should be too difficult of a negotiation. I know you're always worried about other teams with cap space and stuff like that, but. There's not that many teams with cap space, number one. And Chris Boucher, as good as he's been, is not really the kind of guy that a team goes and splurges on with their cap space, right? Like, that is sort of a a move where, you know, if you have $20 million bucks in cap space, throwing $18 million at Chris Boucher, probably not the best use of your assets, especially since he's 29. He's a guy who's probably way more valuable to the Raptors than he is to most other teams. And hopefully the Raptors realize that and pay him as such. I am all in on the tank. And look, I will say, I was so far out. Of Chris Boucher and that business uh, a year ago, eight months ago, I remember on this very podcast back in the 2019-20 season, the day before or it was the day of the game against the Lakers where him and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson kind of made their first appearance in the Raptors rotation, I was fully convinced, I think I tweeted that day, Chris Boucher is just not an NBA player as much as we would like him to be. And I've been proven extremely wrong. He's been fantastic this season, completely re- reworked the type of player he is. And he is 100% the type of guy the Raptors should be looking to bring back because he fits the ethos of what this team wants. And like I said, I think there's a bounce back for his three-point percentage coming as well based on how he finished the season, based on how he shot in Tampa. I don't think he's a 28% shooter. And even if he is, he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA and he's an incredible athletic defender who fits what the Raptors want to do. When it comes to Thad Young, I think I still maintain optimism he's back because the very first press conference Masai Ujiri had after trading for him, he said, we got his bird rights. That, to me, suggests that's something they were thinking of when they went and traded for Thad Young, and I could really see them wanting to bring Thad Young back because, again, he fits what the Raptors want to do. I, you know, there's some rumblings, maybe from uh, you know, I know I talked to some people from Chicago and and you know Bulls fans who I'm friendly with. There seems to be like an inclination among Bulls fans that he's going back to Chicago on a minimum deal or something like that. Sounded like he really loved playing in Chicago, and boy, the Bulls could certainly use a guy like Thad. But if there's a bidding war, I hope the Raptors take part in it because he fits this Raptors team very very nicely. You don't want to get too too crazy, obviously, for a guy who's 33 or whatever it is. But you know, it's not just the on court stuff and the aesthetically pleasing passes and flip shots and stuff. Like like that too. You know, Thad Young is a guy who everybody respects and that matters. Like, we can talk about quantifying everything and, you know, leadership and locker room chemistry. Does it actually matter? When the players start saying that they think it matters, it matters, man. Whether it's real, whether it's fool's gold, whether it's a placebo effect or not, if they think it matters to them, it absolutely matters for sure, without a doubt. And so I hope Thad's back. And I think the Thad-Boucher combo off the bench with future six man of the year, Gary Trent Jr. Mixing a little Justin Champagny, mix mixing a little Malachi Flynn or someone that can bring it on the MLE. I think that's great the beautiful part about this offseason is that it should be very chill. There should not be that much the Raptors have to do. Internal development is going to be the big thing. I think you might get most of the shooting you're looking for because of internal development from guys like Precious Achua, a bounce back from Boucher. Maybe Scotty Barnes gets some touch and becomes a 35% shooter as opposed to a 30% shooter, a 31% shooter. That's all on the table here very much so. And so yeah, I think this should be a pretty chill offseason. If they can bring back Boucher and Thad, I consider that a successful offseason. Honestly, that's really all. I need to see let this thing marinate it's okay to be patient and give it some time if a big trade presents itself sure you got to entertain it of course but I don't really think it's all that necessary and Boucher and Thad to me uh, bringing those guys back is how you get a successful offseason I think in the tank um let's get this next question from frisson Uh, i don't know if i'm pronouncing it with the proper french inflection but what's the team ceiling if they keep the same personnel and just bank on development you know this is a different question i guess depending on how far in the future you're looking if you're looking five years down the line i think this team is on a track where it can be a title contender by sometime in the range of scotty barnes's rookie contract or just beyond that in terms of next season like They won 48 games this season, despite having a bad start, tons of injuries, guys missing time, COVID spells, everyone had COVID spells, but still, this was a team that didn't really hit fifth gear until January, February. Over a full season, I think you can go in and expect 50 wins next season. As you know, right sitting here right now, we don't know what the roster is going to look like, obviously, but if they can bring back the same roster, bank on internal development from guys like Scotty and Precious, this does feel like a team that can comfortably win 50 games the eastern conference is going to be a bear right like the bucks are amazing sadly the goddamn celtics are not going anywhere and jason tatum is amazing and it makes me sad every time i think about it because god the celtics are just odious but it's just the way it is you get that you've also got of course the uh, you know the Miami Heat aren't going anywhere at least for not right now the, the, the Nets or the Nets should be better next year probably I don't know who the hell knows the Sixers are not going anywhere maybe they have some decline if Harden starts really showing his age but like this is going to be a bear of a conference the Hawks should be better maybe the Hornets are better the Cavs are going to be a monster probably as well like it's going to be a battle the Eastern Conference is tough and I don't know if you can base it sort of on like how many wins they get and where they get in the postseason at least sitting here a year out right now as to like what success will be we have to see how the whole conference lines up but i think for sure like the ceiling for this team next season is you know there's a world i mean there was a world this year where they get through the sixers series which by the way they outplayed the sixers in three of the six games and very much had a pathway to winning this series that always existed even though the raptors had the tough start there's a lot of health problems there obviously they had like five guys available for game two there's a world in which the raptors win this series and then we saw them play the heat this season The Heat are annoying. They're a team of bastards in the best possible way, but that's what the Raptors are, too. There's a world in which the Raptors win that series and make the conference final. That was their, like, high, high, absolute ceiling. I think conference finals is kind of their ceiling next year as well. Finals, obviously, is very tough to make, and it requires so much luck to get there, as well as skill and talent and everything breaking your way, but I think a conference finals appearance next season, you know, might be a little bit ahead of schedule, and you don't want to get too, too crazy, right? Because this team was ahead of schedule. If they don't take the same huge leap next year. That doesn't mean that they're behind schedule or anything like that. They're probably just more in line with schedule. I would say I would expect probably a second round appearance next season, but a conference finals appearance certainly feels like it's on the table to me uh, considering what we saw in terms of growth and considering Scotty Barnes is the goddamn truth. Uh, Let's go with a question here from Matt T. Is there any hope for Malachi Flynn to be the backup point guard? Flynn's offense was so bad in this series, but I'd try somebody else. Russo, man, also uh, looking who to look into in place of Malachi Flynn. Uh, Yeah, look, Malachi Flynn had some moments this season. He had that stretch just after the All-Star break when Fred was hurt, where he looked really, really good, and the shot-making was there. And the shot-making is the thing with Malachi Flynn. You know, pick and roll offense, sure, but the Raptors are just not a pick and roll team. And maybe that's unfair that he was drafted into a team that doesn't really do the thing that he did best, but that's just, that the, was them, the, the breaks. He's also not six foot nine and seems to maybe not be part of like the overall sort of general tone and tender of the team. Uh, either way, Having a backup point guard next season will be incredibly important. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, at length on the podcast throughout the summer. But, you know, I, I think there's a world in which Malachi Flynn has played his last game as a Raptor. Whether he's used in a trade or something like that, they just kind of move on from him. I don't really know. But, yeah, it's a bummer. He hasn't really had an opportunity. It's been stop and start. But also, when he's had opportunities outside of that one four-game stretch before he got hurt, he hasn't really seized anything. Earlier in the season, he had some run. He started started a few games. Didn't do anything to seize that, those minutes and really become the backup point guard that you can trust. Uh, you know, postseason obviously you had some nice moments guarding James Harden in a couple of games, but the offense again, to the point where in a game like tonight, where the Raptors were desperately needing any sort of three-point shooting, there wasn't even a look to Malachi Flynn on the bench of coming into the game. Obviously, a high-stakes game, a do-or-die game. Maybe you don't want to go to Malachi Flynn; you'll just go down with the guys that got you there. But there was not even a sense that he might come into this game to help bust the zone or help when they were really kind of down and trying to, you know, just cut into the lead and. To me, yeah, I think there's a world in which he's not back. Matt T, I like what you're saying with Delon Wright. I love Delon Wright. He is the delight. I love him the 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 most, and it will be awesome to bring him back. Tyus Jones is going to make bank if he's a free agent, if he's available. Like the the the. The Grizzlies should be bringing him back. He's fantastic. He's maybe the best backup point guard in the league. If you can get him, great. I just don't know if that's really within the Raptors' budget, especially if they bring Boucher and Thad back. They're only really going to have the mid-level exception to work with, so you're kind of going a little bit lower than the Tyus Jones tier. Maybe they draft somebody at 33. I could see them potentially looking at, like, a four-year point guard in the draft. I have no draft knowledge right now. That'll be another thing we do in the coming weeks and months, of course, but uh, you know, when it comes to the backup point guard spot, look, I'm not, like, uh, Died in the wool, you got to have a backup point guard who's six foot one and it is like, is your Anthony Carter or your Derek Martin type or whatever. I don't think that's necessary, especially when you have Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes to handle the ball. But I think in whatever way, shape, or form it is, whether it's a six nine guy who handles the ball, maybe it's Delano Banton, for example, maybe it's some other guy who's like a six five wing who can handle the ball a little bit, you just got to get more ball handling so you can rest Fred Van Vliet. That's what you need. It doesn't have to be a dyed-in-the-wool point guard or anything like that. just has to be somebody who can handle the freaking ball and make it so Fred VanVleet can play 32 minutes as opposed to 39 because he is proven just by being a six-foot point guard He's going to break down if he plays that many minutes, and we saw it this season. This very much felt like the 2014-15 Kyle Lowry season, and it's just, you know, you have to learn from that like the Raptors did with Kyle Lowry, and they eventually did, and they really learned to manage his load over the course of time. It took him a couple of years after that, frankly, for them to really figure it out, but that's something to really work with. With Delano Banton, just to answer Frieson's question here, you know, really good things to say about his G League performance, for sure. From Nick Nurse, from everybody who watched him, he was fantastic. He might be that answer, and that's why I say you don't really need, like, necessarily, like, a six-foot point guard in the sort of typical mold. Maybe Delano Banton is just the point guard. I do think shooting will be necessary from Delano Banton, for sure. In some way, shape, or form, there has to be a a threat there, at least. There was no threat for him shooting threes this season. No threat, really, for him to pull up. It was really just him getting to the basket by being super fast, and when teams figured that out, it kind of made it so it was a pretty limited thing you're going to see you know like you just only so much you can do so we have to see if there's some actual real refinement of banton's game i'm sure they'll give him a shot they'll give him a look because he fits the mold of what a raptors player is at six foot nine flying around like a maniac all the time super fast could run transition with the best of them but yeah he's going to have to have a little bit more, more refinement when it comes to his half court game if there is going to be hope of delano banton being an actual backup point guard for this team either way like, again, I don't know if it's necessarily a thing where the backup point guard is a the thing they badly need because they can have Siakam handle. Scotty Barnes was drafted as a point guard. He's going to handle the ball, I would think, a lot more next season. They just need someone to help soak up some of those Fred minutes and it might just be Scotty Barnes maybe they get more bigs and wings so they can really just play Scotty as a backup point guard or play Pascal Siakam as the backup point guard and manage it that way you know and if they want to sort of maintain the vision that they're building here that might actually be the way they go just get more wings who can shoot and then you can you know defer some of the ball handling duties to guys who can fill in for Fred but yeah like they got to have a little bit more ball handling a little bit more shooting for sure But the thing is, is I think a lot of the internal development is going to sort of take care of the shooting in a lot of ways. I think Precious you're probably going to count on as a good shooter. We even saw as the playoffs went along. You know, the Sixers started really worrying about him as a three-point shooter to the point that he was blowing by Joel Embiid on closeouts, and that matters. When teams start guarding you, that's what your shooting is really all about. You can shoot all you want. If teams aren't guarding you, it doesn't change the spacing of the floor. Teams started caring about Precious Achua as a shooter. I look forward to that hopefully carrying over next season, and I think Scotty Barnes will have some sort of uptick, whether it's to 33 or 34, 36%, maybe that's shooting too high, but I think that's going to sort of help fill in the gaps here with the three-point shooting to so um yeah shooting ball handling in, in terms of like backup guy who can fill in for fred those are kind of the two needs but really should be a pretty chill offseason for the raptors which is nice might not make for the most interesting in terms of like big drama in the offseason but uh, that's nice after many many offseasons of high drama with toronto with kyle larry and gasol and abaka leaving and Kawhi leaving and Demar getting traded like it's not been a chill off season for years i'm looking forward to something pretty relaxing myself Either way, all through the offseason, I'm going to be here. I'm going to wrap up the show here, but we'll be back again on Monday. Me and Vivek Jacob are going to do sort of a retrospective on the season on Monday, sort of do a big-picture look back on all the things that took place this year. And then we're going to start player reviews. We're going to dig into every single player on the team, do an episode for each and every one of them, maybe like an episode... And like we'll do three bench guys per episode or something like that. Once we get down to the deep reaches of the roster, but that will be what we do over the next little while here, next couple of weeks. Then we've got draft stuff. We've got free agency. We've got, you know, just keeping an eye on the rest of the playoffs. I suppose too. We'll have a Kyle Lowry minute. I'm sure on the podcast to keep tabs on what he's doing as he takes on the Sixers go heat, baby. I'm a dyed in the wool heat fan now. I can't wait. Uh, But either way, That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you for bearing with the technical difficulties off the top. That's much appreciated. Sorry about that taking place. If uh, you missed it because of that, I apologize. You can hear the podcast, of course, in the morning. That's going to be available in audio in the morning time. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for following along with the show this season you know, for if you're on the stream, amazing. If you're listening to this or watching this at a later date, I I really can't thank you enough for being a part of the show. This was as big a year as we've ever had right up there with the title season in terms of downloads and and reach and engagement and all that stuff. And the video element has been a really fun thing too. And I'm glad to be with my ugly mug here on your camera uh, talking to you every day. So, uh, thanks so, so much. Not going anywhere. Of course, it's only going to get bigger and better from here. And, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, uh, if you're looking for more stuff on the the NBA and the NBA playoffs and the end of the series, go check out uh, Locked on NBA. It's our daily NBA show here at Locked On, and they do a wonderful job. Also on YouTube, also on all the podcast apps, so you can go check that out. And uh, with that, I'll leave you there. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we will talk to you again on Monday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks. Bye-bye.